Thank you for listening to the Celebration Church podcast. For more information about Celebration Church, go to ccacron.org. There you will find information about our church, upcoming events, and how to make a contribution to the ministry of Celebration Church. We hope this message is an encouragement to you. Hallelujah. 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 I'm free. 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 Hallelujah. I'm free. Hallelujah. I'm free. Whom the Son, whom the Son, whom the Son, whom the Son, whom the Son. Whom the Son. Whom the Son is free indeed. Amen. Are you free this morning? (laughs) Some of you are. The rest of you are still figuring it out. (laughs) Hallelujah. Matthew 28. Mm Mm-hmm. Matthew 28, Uh, the command to make disciples. Freely you have received, freely you have received, freely give. Disciples making disciples, you're receiving right now. At least you ought to be. If not, hopefully before you leave today, you'll understand the importance of receiving. You're receiving right now. There's, you're, you're taking in. You're, you're learning. You're receiving. You're being taught. You're receiving of His presence. You're receiving of His Word. You're receiving of, of worship and understanding of, of His nature, of His goodness, of His character. You're freely receiving right now. Freely receiving. So freely give. You've got something to give. You've got something to give. If you sit, you, you cannot sit in an environment like this and not have something to give. You may not have realized the full download you're receiving, but you you could sit in here this morning and not want to receive something and you're going to get something. (laughs) When you walk into a steam room, it doesn't matter whether you want to get wet or not, you're getting wet. (laughs) Right? When you walk into the cloud of His glory, it doesn't matter whether you want to get wet or not. It's there. It's on you. You may not realize the full potential of it or the effects that it's having on you, but I promise you, it is affecting you. His presence this morning, the presence of the Lord in this place is affecting you. You, And those of you that come here week after week after week or watch week after week, you you can't get in this environment 
You can't get in this environment week after week of saturation and not affect you. It's going to cause, it's going to cause you to change. It's going to cause transformation to happen. It's going to cause the issues to bubble to the top. It's going to cause your, your, your inadequacies to surface. It's going to cause your trust issues to surface. It's going to cause your past hurt to surface. It's going to cause your gifts to surface. It's going to cause your talents to surface. It's going to cause all that's on the inside of you to start coming out. The presence of the Lord, it just, it's, that, it's that oil effect. It's like the oil and water effect. The oil of the Holy Ghost starts being poured on you and poured in you, and all of a sudden things start to lift up. They start to separate. That's what, that's, that's, yeah, that's good. You need that to happen. Don't run from that. Don't run from that when the Holy Spirit starts causing things to separate in your life and you begin to see your ugliness. Don't run from that. That's called discipleship. It's called God is, He's transforming you. He's changing you. And you begin to pour out out of what you've received. Freely you have received, freely give. You begin to give away. You begin to pour out on others. It's awesome. It's the life of disciples making disciples. In your bulletin, there's, there's an insert about multiply. On the back side, there's a diagram I'm going to reference today. Uh, we'll put it on the screen at some point, I'm sure, for you to see. But, but it's in your bulletin as well. So you can check that out. This is what I'm preaching from. Excuse me. I'm preaching from the Bible. I'm using that as a reference. <laughs> Let me clarify. <laughs> Let me clarify. Matthew 28 is where I'm preaching from. You can see on the screen there in front of you the, the diagram. But we're going to take a look at disciples. I want to just practically, very, very, very practically take a look at the components of discipleship today. But Matthew 28, and Matthew 28, verse 18, And Jesus came and he spoke to them, saying, All authority. Everybody say authority. All authority. This is a powerful word here. And he's, so what he's telling them is, I have authority. I'm giving you authority. I have authority, I'm giving you authority. I'm operating in my, in my Father's authority, and I am transferring that authority to you. You and I have been given authority from Jesus. Yeah. I want you to think about that. The Son of the living God has given to us His authority. We are operating as ambassadors of Christ. As disciples making disciples, we are operating under the authority of heaven. If an ambassador goes out representing a kingdom or a, or a government, they go representing that kingdom, that authority, not their own, their own desires, their own, their own wills, their own edicts, their own, their own rules or laws. They're representing the government from which they are sent. You and I have been given the authority to represent the kingdom from which we've been sent, heavenly kingdom. We're not representing our own. The minute that you step out trying to declare your own laws, your own rules, your own edicts, try to do it in your own strength, your own self, all about you, you've now stepped outside of the authority that you've been given. Yeah. Now, in certain governments, they'll kill you for that. <laughs> Thankfully, that price has already been paid. <laughs> But the Holy Spirit who keeps us, that, that spy agent, that secret agent, whatever, comes and corrects us and says, excuse me, you're an ambassador of the king. You're operating on your own. This is not the heavenly order. This is not the heavenly kingdom order and realigns us, right? 
And so we're sent as ambassadors, the authority of Christ. We can walk, you and I can walk in the authority of heaven. The, the unfortunate is, is that we don't understand the authority we've been given and we don't know how to walk in it. We don't understand that we can lay hands on the sick and see them healed. We don't understand that we can cast out devils and, and operate in what God has given to us. There's authority that God has given to each of us. It looks different in every person. The, the manifestation of those gifts and those talents look different for every person. But you have been given spiritual authority. Freely you have received, freely give. Go and make disciples. Go and take what you've received, that authority that you're walking. Go, therefore, and make disciples. All authority has been given to me. He says to them, go. First statement, go. This is not optional. When you become born again, there is no, as we've said Wednesday night, there's no private salvation deals. Jesus doesn't ever pull anybody aside and make a private deal with you that's separate from the deal that he's already made, and it's very public. The, the redemption plan is, is very, absolutely very public. You are called to live your life for Christ. Everywhere you go, you're a disciple. You are sent. You are someone that has been sent from someone who has authority. You are operating under the authority. You have been sent out. Go. And what is your mission? Make disciples. Let's put that verse back up. Make disciples of all nations. Go and make disciples. Our, our mission, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Verse 20. Teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so there are some very practical things here that are mentioned and throughout Scripture about discipleship, the components of discipleship. We know that God has called each of us to make disciples. A lot of times we are intimidated by that. How do I begin to make disciples? What is included? What, what ingredients go into disciple making? And how do I do that effectively? Anybody ever thought that they were a little inadequate for the job of disciple making? I'm sure every one of it. If you don't raise your hand, you're lying. That or you're very prideful. All of us have been there. <laughs> All of us have been there where we've said, Lord, I am inadequate to make disciples. I'm inadequate to do what you've called me to do. Maybe it's the friend sitting across from you at the lunchroom table at school, or maybe it's the person sitting next to you at work. Maybe it's the, the aggravating family member. What, whoever it is that God has placed in your life, our call is to go and make disciples of all nations. Let me just add an interesting fact here. I don't care what your view is of refugees and whatever's happening, happening. God says, if you won't go, I'll bring them to your back door. So whatever your interpretation, I don't really care what your political stance is. I'm just telling you that, that what the Lord is doing. And so if you won't go, he'll send them. And, and I'll, I'll, let me add on to this. We have 6,000 plus Nepali refugees in our community right here. We have a Nepali church that's growing right here, meets here right after our Sunday service. They're a partner church of ours, We're, and, and I'm working with them, helping them become an independent Assembly of God church on their own. They're growing. They're, they're, they're really growing. It's funny, we have about 15 of, of the Nepali pastors and leaders from this community in our Bethesda class this semester. Fifteen. Of the, I'm not talking one church, I'm talking multiple Nepali churches sitting in our Bible college class because they want training 
They want to understand. They want to grow and learn as a pastor. So we're going and making disciples of all nations. So I want to take a look at this. The diagram there, components of discipleship. The first thing I want to take a look at is the invitation to follow. A lot of times we think of the invitation to follow as a very formal, something that has to happen. It's a program. It's, discipleship is programmed. You have to follow A, B, C, D, and it's, it's programmed, or it's very formal. You've got to go up to somebody and say, hi, my name is Jen Sherman, and I want you to come and follow me, and I'm going to be your disciple maker. Unfortunately, that's not exactly how discipleship happens. If Jen were to do that, most of the people she would approach would probably run the other direction. <laughs> not because of Jen, but just who is this weird girl who wants, come follow you? Where am I going? So discipleship happens in several elements, and we see this in Scripture. The first element is through relationships. The invitation to follow happens through relationships. If you take a look at Andrew and Peter, Andrew brought Peter to Jesus. In John chapter 1, verse 40, it says, One of the two who heard John the Baptist speak and followed him, meaning Jesus, was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Now when Jesus looked at him, he said, You are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. And so Peter, how many of you would say Peter was pretty influential in the New Testament? Right? So Peter was brought to Jesus as a result of his brother's testimony. It was a relationship that happened. Andrew was a disciple of John the Baptist. How many of you remember John the Baptist? He was out, he did what Baptists do. He was baptizing. And he was, he was doing what he did. He was out baptizing, preaching repentance. And when when John the Baptist saw Jesus, he proclaimed that he was the Son of God. Andrew overheard John the Baptist, whether he was standing nearby or whatever proximity he had, but he heard, and he believed the testimony of John the Baptist and left and followed Jesus. But before he started following, he went after his brother and said, I found the Messiah. I found the anointed one. I found Christ, the, the coming King. And so he brought his brother Peter to follow after Jesus. And Jesus then uh, proclaimed, he prophesied over Peter and said, you're, you're called Simon, but I'm calling you Peter. I'm calling you the rock. And on this rock, he later prophesied, on this rock I have built my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. The come happens through invitation. You have Philip. Jesus went up to Philip in John uh, chapter 1, verse, verse 43. The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, follow me. So there was an invitation extended to, to Philip. Philip, come follow. And, and we see that as an example. There's the example or the element of evangelism. Nathaniel, once, once he followed Jesus... Nathaniel went after Philip in John chapter 1. Now Philip was from Bethesda, the city of Andrew. Sorry, flip that. Philip went after Nathaniel. Now Philip was from Bethesda, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathaniel and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathaniel said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, Come and see. I love that. Come and see. And Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, and he said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no deceit. And Nathanael said to Jesus, How do you know it's me? And Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree. This is a, it's a, he had a word of knowledge, he had a dream or a vision. Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you, Nathanael. 
answered, I saw you. And Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. So through evangelism, through our personal evangelism, we make disciples. We go out and we bring them in through evangelism and make disciples of them. When, when we do Night of Hope, Night of Hope is not just, just about outreach. Going out into the community and doing the outreach, outreaches that we do. It's not just going out and, and about outreach only. We are going to make disciples. And so you're connecting with people. You're building relationships with them. You're disciples making disciples. You're, you're bringing that invitation. Well, how, how do I invite someone from It's simple. Hey, why don't you come with me to church and have them sit by you at church? Hey, why don't you come with me to Bethesda and, and have them join you with Bethesda, or a, a small group, or, or, or uh, Sunday school, or VIP lunch, or the A-team lunch. The system's in place. The opportunities are in place for discipleship to happen. You just got to bring somebody. Just begin to build that relationship through ministry. Jesus was out ministering. Many times we see this happening. Blind Bartimaeus is a great example. In Mark chapter 10, 52, Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight. And what did blind Bartimaeus do? He did what? He followed Jesus on the road. He went after Jesus. He left the place where he was begging, and he got up, and he went after, and he followed Jesus. So the invitation to follow was through ministry. Very very practical invitation to follow. Secondly, there has to be an identity with Christ. As you are discipling others, making disciples, and you yourself being a disciple, you must identify with Christ. This is more than just uh, taking on the name. It's how you live. Jesus said, go baptize, teaching them. This is a constant teaching, continual teaching. Discipleship is a continual lifestyle of teaching. You never stop teaching. When you say, I'm going to be a disciple maker, you are committing to teaching others also. It's, it's part of it. You never stop. At no point do we ever say, oh, I'm done teaching. I've reached retirement age. I'm done teaching others. It's time for me to retire in the kingdom of God too. Or, or I've done that already, so I don't, I'm finished. I've done that project, so I, I'm okay. No, we never, none of us ever stop teaching. It's the life of a Christian. It's the life of a disciple who's making disciples. We're constantly teaching others. And the minute that you get done teaching someone else, there's a new person ready to start the process with you. And so we're always teaching, always making disciples. And the, and the next com- component of that, or the main component of that, is that there's the identification with Christ. Romans 6, 4 says, Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. And and Jesus said to them, Go make disciples, teaching them, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. In other words, you're identifying with Christ. You're taking on the identity of Christ. Paul taught us in Romans that, that water baptism, we are... We are being buried in the water, in the likeness of Christ, and we are being raised to life, coming up out of the water, just as Christ was raised to life. Even so, what does Paul say? Even so, you and I ought to live. How? According to the glory of God. That's how Jesus was raised to life, according to the glory of God. That's how you and I are empowered to live this life as believers, we are to live according to the glory of the Lord. John 6, 53. And Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. 
Whoa, Jesus, time out. That's a pretty, pretty powerful statement. I need to what? I'm going to be a disciple. I need to identify with you, and I'm going to eat your flesh and drink your blood? I, you know, we have the context of Scripture to understand this. The early disciples did not, their, their minds were not fully perceiving this, and, and it offended people. It offended a lot of people when he said, eat my flesh and drink my blood. So much so that he looked at his disciples, his 12, and said, does this offend you? There's the door. So this is a powerful statement. Jesus is saying that we are to identify by feasting on him. We identify by our our sustenance. We are sustained. He is the bread that's come down from heaven. We feast on him. We drink of this new wine, this Holy Ghost wine. We feast on God. We identify with him. In Matthew 15, 8. These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. So it's more than just the words we speak. Jesus indicates here that this is the attitude of our heart. We identify with Christ not by just the words we say, but the attitude of our heart and with our actions. In other words, we are identified with Christ in our association. We are identified with him because we are partnered. We are koinonia. We are in a relationship with him. We are identified with Christ because of our activities. What we do through our association, what we do in our activities, our time, our talent, our resources, our relationships, what do you do in your activities? Do they identify with Christ, where you spend your time, how you use your talents, where you spend your resources, what you value in your relationships? Do they represent that you're a disciple making disciples? And then thirdly, what our affections are. We associate with Christ through our affections, our thoughts, our our meditations, our desires, our emotions. Does your thoughts, if we were to take your thoughts and put probes into your brain right now and hear your thoughts, not saying we're going to do this, we don't do this, but if we were to listen in on your thoughts right now, do they look like a disciple making disciples? Do they look like Christ? The meditations of your heart. Your emotions, your desires, do they represent the life of a believer? So it's identifying with Christ. This is more water baptism for us, and no pun intended, has become really watered down. (laughs) Some of you will get that when you go home. In today's culture, we've minimized the power of baptism. Baptism, if you, if you rewind, go back to the New Testament church, you had 3,000 believers on the day of Pentecost, at least. 120 of those people baptizing 3,000 people. That's an all-day affair. That's literally taking all day to baptize 3,000. You can just dunk them one right after the other, and you're going to be there all day baptizing those people. It was a powerful statement. You know, in in America, we have that freedom to express our identification with Christ through water baptism so easily. It's funny, when you go to places like China, and regularly I do, where water baptism is is not something that you uh, should do. The government discourages it, and they do it privately. Those types of things that are happening, it's an identity with Christ, public identity, that I am taking on the name of Christ, not just in word only, but how I act, how I live, how I behave, what I think about, what I do. I am a follower of Christ. The second component of discipleship we see in Scripture is faithfulness. 
In John 15, it says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Abide. Everybody say, Abide. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in me, the vine, and the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. And Luke 16, 10, it says, He who is faithful and what is least will be faithful over much. We see con- continually throughout Scripture that discipleship is connected to faithfulness. This component of discipleship, being faithful, abiding in Christ, remaining in Christ, tearing in Christ. Acts 2, 42 says that they continued steadfastly. They were faithful. In discipleship, you have to be faithful. Everybody say consistent. When you are, you all sounded great. When you are discipling, you have to stay consistent. Sometimes when you're in the midst of even being discipled, one of the greatest crucifiers of our flesh is to stay put when our flesh wants to run. Isn't that what Jesus said? If you want to follow me, let him take up his cross daily. What would it profit you to gain the whole world and lose your soul? What would it profit? You can have it all. Doesn't matter. Discipleship. And so as a disciple, we're faithful. We're staying put. We're staying consistent with what we know. You may find yourself looking at a, at a situation sometimes where the Holy Spirit will convict you of something. Maybe you're doing something wrong or with the wrong motive, the wrong attitude. And the very first thing that you want to do is what? Run the other direction. What? Run. I don't want to deal with this. I don't want to look at that ugly thing. Why? Because we don't, it's the same thing as if you ever listen to yourself on a recorder singing or talking and you're like, oh my goodness, I sound horrible. I refuse. I refuse to listen to the podcast because I, I don't want to listen to myself. I don't, it just drives me crazy to hear myself talk and I do it professionally. It's like, oh my goodness, you see the imperfections. Well, when the Holy Spirit begins to convict you, you see the imperfections. And the first thing that our pride, our flesh wants to do is run the other direction. But let us offer ourselves as living sacrifices, Romans 12, 1 and 2. Let's put ourselves on the sacrifice, burn, baby, burn. Let the flesh be consumed. I don't hear much shouting. I'm preaching better than you're shouting. Let it burn, Jesus. Stay put. Allow him to transform you, to change you. Does that mean I need to change what I'm doing or change? You need to hear from the Lord on that. If he begins to convict you about something, but you need to hear from the Lord. But chances are, can I just speak freely? Chances are the whole reason that that thing surfaced in your life is because you were doing what you were supposed to be doing. And God applied pressure in that area and all of a sudden it burped out doesn't mean that you stop doing or change course. It means you're probably on the right course. Unless you're living in sin, that's a whole other issue. Does anybody hear what I'm saying? I love what Jeremiah 12.5 says. If you have run with the footmen and they have wearied you, then how can you contend with the horses? If you've gotten tired just, just with the, the little things, how can you expect God to give you the big things? Oh, I'm called to be a preacher. I always pick this one because this is the big one. Oh, I'm called to be a preacher. Great. Go scrub the toilets. Well, maybe not. It's kind of the, the rich young ruler syndrome. Oh, Jesus, what do I have to do to follow you? What lack I yet? Go sell everything. Oh, well, sorry. See you later. 
Does that mean being a disciple of Christ means that I'm having to pay a price? Welcome to discipleship. The cost is yourself. Let him lay down his life. Let him take up his cross and follow me. The cost of our payment is that we give him everything. He laid down everything to redeem us and we give him everything. Personal faithfulness to personal transformation will bring opportunities for others to be transformed. I'll say that again. Faithfulness to personal transformation will bring opportunities for others to be transformed. If you allow God to change your heart, change your life, and transform you, he will bring opportunities for you to see others transformed as well. Think about Gideon. I would not have wanted to be in Gideon's shoes. Started off with 32,000 men. That's a pretty good army. When you say if you're going to go out and fight a battle, you would want Gideon's 32,000. I'd want, I'd want the big army. And what does God say? Oh, that's too big. Let's just narrow it down. Okay. Still too big. Narrow it down. What? 300. 32,000 to 300. 32,000 to 300. This process of discipleship. Sometimes things get pruned in our life. Things get cut out in our life. We're like, Lord, this is, are you sure? Are, are you sure we're going to be victorious in this? You, you seem to be taking away the resources here that I need to accomplish what you've called me to. I mean, are you sure that this is the right way? Are you sure? I mean, really, does it really matter how they drink the water? Is it really that big of a deal? <laughs> Being faithful, remaining, staying steadfast. One of the greatest opportunities, I'll say it again, for death to self is yielding when your flesh wants to run. Stay faithful. Stay faithful. Number three, faith, fruitfulness. Fruitfulness. How fruitful is your life? As a disciple who makes disciples, are you bearing fruit of discipleship? Does your life bear fruit of discipleship? Are you teachable? Are you humble? Are you loving? Are you gentle? Are you kind? The fruits of discipleship. When you get around Christ and he is your disciple or your disciple of Christ, you begin to look like and have the nature of Christ. In Numbers chapter 17, I love this illustration, this example of fruitfulness. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel and get from them a rod from each father's house, all their leaders according to their father's houses, 12 rods. Each tribe, in other words, was going to have their father, the, someone, their spiritual leader, submit a rod to, to, to Moses. Write each man's name on his rod, and you shall write Aaron's name on the rod of Levi. For there shall be one rod for the head of each of the father's houses. Then you shall place them in the tabernacle of meeting before the testimony where I meet with you. And it shall be that the rod of the man whom I choose will blossom. Thus I will write, ride myself rid myself, sorry, that's a typo, thus I will rid myself of the complaints of the children of Israel which they make against you. So Moses spoke to the children of Israel 
And each of their leaders gave him a rod apiece for each leader, according to their father's houses, 12 rods. And the rod of Aaron was among their rods. And Moses placed the rods before the Lord in the tabernacle of witness. And it came to pass on the next day that Moses went into the tabernacle of witness. And behold, the rod of Aaron of the house of Levi had sprouted and put forth buds and had produced blossoms and yielded ripe almonds. What does this mean? When you begin to operate in the presence of the Lord, you submit to God his rule, his presence in your life, fruitfulness is produced. If you're trying to do it in your own strength or you're trying to do something that is not God's intention for you to do, you are going to be striving and not fruiting. (laughs) Right? When you're trying to do it in your own strength, with your own hands, your own talents, your own abilities, without the presence of the Lord in your life, you'll be striving. But it's it's real simple doesn't mean that you, stop, you have to even stop doing what you're doing. Aaron didn't stop doing what he was doing. It was a change of, of location. He positioned himself instead of a place from striving into a place of his presence. His rod was still out there. He was still using his rod. Aaron was still doing what he was doing. He never changed. But what did change was that his rod went into the presence of the Lord. Fruitfulness happens when you abide in his presence. You begin to get into the presence of the Lord and he'll change things. He'll make you fruitful. But you've got to position yourself in his presence. This is a great litmus test. You might have heard us say it as Aaron's rod blossoming. How do you know, who's the next person to, to lead? Who's the next person to step into leadership in this? Whose who's rod's blossoming? Who has God chosen? Who's God put his hand on? And there's fruitfulness in their life. Aaron's rod. It's a sign of, of things to come. It's a sign of fruitfulness. Are you being fruitful? Luke 6, we looked at it last week. For every tree is known by its own fruit. You will produce fruit according to the seed that's been sown. John 15, 8 says, By this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. A couple words of encouragement to you as you're making disciples and as you yourself are being discipled with regarding to fruit. Healthy fruit is the result of what? Proper nutrition and care. If you want fruit, you got to take care of the tree. If you want an apple tree to have great apples, you've got to take care of the apple tree. Right? So our job as disciples who are making disciples, our responsibility is to encourage and to provide a proper atmosphere for health and nutrition. You cannot make someone bear fruit. You can try and try and try, but I can't make you bear fruit. I can't make you be a fruitful Christian, and you can't make someone else be a fruitful Christian. The type of fruit that someone produces in their life is based on the type of seed that's been sown in their life. It is our responsibility to sow seeds of faith, to sow the word of God, and provide an atmosphere for that fruit to take root and and, and become healthy and nutritious. But if they're sowing seeds of doubt into their heart, if they're constantly living in a place of fear, if someone's constantly living in a place of negativity and criticism... They're sowing seeds in their own heart. And if they've never yielded to Christ, if if they haven't had a born-again experience, they're still living off the seed of their father, the devil. They haven't been born again of incorruptible seed. So no matter how you slice it, you can't make someone bear the fruit you want them to bear. You're just teaching. 
You're constantly teaching. You're sowing seed. You're sowing the word of God. You're constantly imparting Christ into that person's heart and life. Abiding, someone abiding in Christ is dependent upon God's work in their heart. Someone yielding, someone staying faithful, someone remaining, you staying faithful, you being, being a person who remains, who tarries, who abides, is dependent upon God's work in you. And so again, we go back to this reality that we have to be positioned in a place of his presence. We have to stay positioned in the place of his presence. And then the last component here of discipleship is that we send. We don't make disciples who just come along and sit in the pews and do nothing. Acts 1.8, you shall receive power. Oh, we'll try that again. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. And so everyone is engaged in this mission of making disciples. So as you disciple someone, your ultimate goal is to help them look like Christ and for them to go out themselves. It's not to build your own kingdom. You're not making disciples to build your own small group so that you can have 40, 50 people in your small group and look around and say, oh, look how great my small group is. I've got 40 or 50 people in here and half of them should be leading somewhere. If half the people in your small group ought to be leaders somewhere else, there's a problem, there's a disconnect. They're not being sent out. You, we are all disciples making disciples. So we, we evaluate, we look, okay, God, who have you placed in my life? How am I pouring into them? How am I discipling them? And is my ultimate goal to see them send, sent, to see them be sent out, make disciples themselves? And you walk them through. Man, there's, it's awesome. When you see that, when you lead someone to Christ, it's an awesome experience. When you have that privilege of leading someone to the Lord and you're part of that, it's exciting. But there's nothing like being a spiritual grandparent either. It gets even better. You know, it's great having kids, but it's always, I'm told, it's always better to have grandkids, right? I, I'm looking at grandparents in the room. I don't know that feeling yet. That'll be quite a while, long while before that happens. The same is true spiritually. When you're that spiritual grandparent that comes alongside of, of, of someone that you've discipled, and you help them see that person born again, that and that experience for themselves. You help them lead someone in the baptism in the Holy Spirit. You help them lay hands on the sick and see them healed. You're training them, discipling them to do the work of the ministry. Man, it's awesome to experience it for yourself. But I, I, one of the things I love, I could sit back and service and I watch leaders, people who have been discipled under us and just watch them minister. I, I, was one of my, I can just sit back. And I'll do that for hours. I don't need to preach. Just let somebody else watch them minister. Let God, just let the fire burn. Let them go. And I just come alongside, oh, let's do this. Let's tweak this. Let, maybe you can do this differently. Equipping others to do the work of the ministry, right? So each of us are disciples making disciples. Go. All authority has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all things I've commanded you. Very basic things here. Very basic. Invite. Make a disciple. Make that relationship. Bridge that gap. Whatever it takes. Be faithful in that person's life and encourage them to be faithful. 
Have them sit by you in church. Have them go to a small group with you. Faithfulness. And see fruitfulness developed. Allow God to come in and do a pruning work on the inside of them and the inside of you. And then begin to send them out to make disciples themselves. Amen? Amen. Awesome. Why don't you stand with me this morning? Thank you, Lord. Thank you for joining the Celebration Podcast. For more information, visit ccacron.org or call us at 330-762-7458. You can also download the Celebration app from iTunes or the Android store. With my father, it's so hard.